the pandemic has opened up a lot of access mm -hmm. to more marginalized critics yes. in this industry because of virtual festivals, hybrid festivals. Cannes was one of the first in-person festivals to come back during the pandemic. And I feel like though it's still very male dominated, there are strides being made, but sometimes you can't just sit around and wait for the work to be done. You have to do it yourself. You gotta be there. If you wanna see people like you there, you're gonna have to be there so other people can see you like you. Welcome to AYES, a podcast where we amplify the empowering voices and inspiring journeys of trailblazing Latinas who are living their professional dreams, creating a positive impact in our comunidades, and opening the doors for the next Latinx generation. I'm your host, Brenda Hernandez Jaimes, podcast manager, founder of AYES Media, and storyteller at heart. I elevate the diverse voices of talented Latinas to inspire you to continue paving your path as a Latina creative, professional, creator, or business owner. Join me every two weeks as we share vulnerable, honest, and empathetic conversations so you can amplify your voice while pursuing your definition of success while making a positive change. This is Say Yes. Hola, welcome back to Ellas. I'm your host, Brenda Hernandez Jaimes. Thank you again for listening to Ellas. For episode 70 for this new year of 2022, I have the honor and pleasure of introducing my guest, Ileana Melendez. Ileana Melendez is a film critic, podcast producer, and co-host of Film Talk and head of marketing at Full Circle Cinema. Her background is in business, holding a bachelor's in business administration for marketing and accounting, and is currently pursuing a master's business administration. Her show, Film Talk, was born from the need of more female-identifying voices in film criticism, especially in audiovisual space such as YouTube. And let me tell you, her show was one of my favorite YouTube shows during lockdown, and it was something that kept me smiling, feeling alive, and just connecting my love for film. So I'm really happy to welcome Ileana Melendez. Before we begin on today's inspiring conversation, I want to share that you can support Ellas and myself in amplifying empowering Latina voices by donating to our Buy Me A Coffee over at buymeacoffee.com slash Ellas. That's buymeacoffee.com slash Ellas, where you can donate at a one-time basis starting at a dollar. I have set up our first goal and I would love if you can help me reach it. Gracias in advance. Now, let's get into the episode. Hola, Eliana. Hola, Brenda. How's everyone? It's going good. Thank you. I want to let the listeners know that while this is the first episode of 2022, we're still in 2021. So past, present, Bren and Eliana is talking <laughs> to future Ellas. We're excited. I'm excited. And before recording, I just, again want to say thank you. And it's an honor to have you here because I admire your work. I admire the positive impact that you're creating. And I'm just excited to know that what you've been able to accomplish is just the beginning. And it's like from here on out, it's just, I expect, and I'm just excited to witness the greatness that you'll do from here on out. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. I guess yeah. all of you are rooting for you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. That that's it's honestly an honor to be here. I just wanted to uplift my fellow Latinas. Yes. <laughs> And it just so happened that I just, you know, pop in. But it's honestly a pleasure to be here. I cannot wait for this new year. I cannot wait to talk about more about film, about Latinas in this industry and beyond. Yeah. And you know, before we start, I always love opening the conversation with knowing the things that you've accomplished and going through the obstacles that you've overcome and come out stronger from them and learning more about yourself. Who is Ileana behind all of this? I'd like to know too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Ileana is still on the inside, mm -hmm. a homeschooled kid who just really likes movies, who really likes editing movies, who's been making little little movies in Windows Movie Maker since 2007 <laughs> <laughs> and just rediscovered a love and passion for creating visual pieces, just mm -hmm. visual art, be it right now, little memes on a podcast, mm -hmm. <laughs> be it a production for a show where we uplift Latina and female identifying voices, be it short films that I've mm -hmm. done in the past that will not see the light of day right now because I... <laughs> 
I, I know I can do better. But yeah, I think Ileana is just the the homeschooled perfectionist who just wants to do one thing and move on to the next thing, bigger and better every time. And sometimes I just don't sit down and realize everything I've done. Mm-hmm. So that's why <laughs> that's why sometimes I'm like, you got, you want you guys want to interview me? <laughs> What have I done? What have I been up to? Hello, one of the first Puerto Rican women film critics to go to Cannes along with Josie Melendez, a previous yeah. guest. Here in a yes. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing too big. Nothing too <laughs> casual. Very casual. I think you are, if I'm not mistaken, and maybe my past guests have never shared that with me during our conversations, but I believe you're the first guest that I have, that I know, that has been homeschooled. So I'm really curious to know how that was like growing up and maybe this is like just a a mistake but was that easier to see more movies and discover that love for film I think it was but in a sense I don't necessarily attribute it to like exclusively to the flexibility of homeschooling because it was like a lot of work I was always busy with homework and all of that because it's like yeah I'm at home but then they're like oh you have more time at home here's more homework (laughs) but at the same time I think the especially in Puerto Rico I'm born and raised here in my little Mm -hmm. island and here up really really popular pastime since movie theaters opened is going to the movies Mm -hmm. especially because a lot of the times especially like in the city there's I hate to say but sometimes there's not that much else to do like going out Mm -hmm. not that much else to do that's affordable and also air-conditioned so here going to the movies is definitely and to this day like it keeps growing people here love going to the movie theater it becomes you know dinner in a movie is honestly like a very very popular family pastime so I grew up going to the movies probably once or twice a month at least mm-hmm. and constantly seeing movies on TV. There was, a, I don't know, FBI don't come for me, but there was a time where, especially in Puerto Rico, uh-huh. that even on the side of the road, movie, you know, people would sell pirated movies. <laughs> hey, I, I've, I've been there while I was living in Mexico. I didn't have money to go to the theater. So yeah. I had to do what I had to do to watch movies. So And I, it I, was I, so it was <laughs> it was that times Netflix and yeah. you know, yeah, it's shady, but that's yes. literally how a lot of us in our generation, especially mm-hmm. the early 2000s were yes. able to see anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I was able to see so many movies all the time because my dad would bring home like, you know, a 5 for 5 deal on the latest movies <laughs> from like the side of the road from a road trip or something. So yeah, that's definitely a a really big influence in how I became so passionate for film like myself and both of my brothers like we are all film geeks my brother is managing editor of Full Circle Cinema we're co-founders of the website and it's just a love that was sparked since we were basically fresh out of the womb so (laughs) I think homeschooling was perhaps a factor in terms of time because we were Mm -hmm. able to go to earlier showings of movies so it was a little cheaper (laughs) but that also facilitated going to like you know day one premieres like first showings of movies so we were always seeing like Hunger Games and Harry Potter Mm -hmm. you know on the if the movie would come out Friday in the US it would come out Thursday here so we would see the movie like a day early and we'd feel special so that was kind of my upbringing and I attributed a lot to my dad who's like a, a huge movie geek we had like early 2000s huge wall units filled with hundreds of dvds like wow. you know obviously regular dvds and mm-hmm. pirated dvds just mm-hmm. stacks and stacks on stacks of course we've had to downsize that because it does take up a lot of space and yes. because now streaming and everyone's you know kind of turning their eye to <laughs> away from physical media which I'm still a big advocate for So it's definitely something that has evolved and has changed in terms of how we consume movies, how horror communities consume Mm -hmm. movies. And I don't know, I feel like there is this conversation that is as much as people deny it, it is a little bit elitist to say, oh, you should only, you know, this movie was only made for the movie theater. If you're not watching it legally, you know, that's not authentic. You're not helping the artist. And I can get that. But sometimes Mm -hmm. when only well-abled, like, financially well-abled communities and audiences are able to see your movie who's the movie for you know 
Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, you just hit something that I completely agree with because in a way, yes, I am like you. Yes, it's important to support in any way that you can the filmmaker, our actors, the team. But if we're talking about a population of people in countries that don't have the financial power to mm-hmm. watch films or even let's just say sometimes in Mexico, I wasn't able to see the independent art movies, but pirated movies for some reason always had them. And I was able to see those movies and I was Mm -hmm. like never in my life could I have seen it in you know the typical movie theater where all the blockbuster movies were going through right so you have that connection it's easier to people that might not see themselves working in these spaces are able to have that connection and be able to discover these worlds through pirated movies so I agree with you and as you know once we you know do have that financial power for sure let's support but until then yeah you know, like if that's the only way, that's the only way and to whole power to you. And from the homeschooling aspect, I think, yes, now that we've all experienced working from home, we do understand. Yeah. Just because you're from you're yeah. at home doesn't mean you have the whole time to watch movies or, or TV. Right. Right. And, and with full circle cinema, I, I believe AS and full circle cinema are like days apart from birth because I started AS around like March 9th, I believe in yours, 2019. So you, in yours was like March 11th. Oh my God. Yeah. March 11th yeah. is yeah. when we officially launched. Yeah. So, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're almost birthday twins birthday twins yes and yeah it, it, it's just amazing how from those two years I, I want to you know say to you and to the listeners the quality of this platform oh my god amazing <laughs> amazing because this is something that we were talking before the recording I feel like now with you know podcasting YouTube social media as creators we have the power to create something that is at the same level as these big time media companies. Sometimes even better. Even better, (laughs) even better, yes. And give better representation and perspectives. And Full Circle Cinema is one of those platforms. So I just want to applaud you and your brother because the love, the quality, and the attention to detail is always present. I honestly, thank you so much. I genuinely can't take credit, like full credit for it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's honestly a really, really huge team effort. There were, when we started that website, it was like 20 five of us that just, you know, with a whole love of let's do something on our own independently. It was really a shot in the dark, (laughs) quite honestly, because we moved from one website to another practically, just not knowing if we were going to be able to have a place to write again. Mm -hmm. So it was a really tumultuous time for the team and people that have become practically like family to me for the past, what, like four years now Mm -hmm. that we've known each other. And now almost three years that we've had full circle cinema, you know, the, the family that started and keeps growing and we've had newcomers join the team. And I'm honestly so grateful for each and every one of them. And that attention to detail and quality is because of a really, really, really passionate team behind it. Like I can, I can take credit for the logo and for how everything looks. <laughs> I can take credit for the marketing aspect. My brother can take credit for the technical programming of the website. And but the content itself, the quality, it's a team effort. Mm-hmm. It's a team effort from each and every single one of those writers and who are like family to me. Can we go into that of like the sure. twenty-five people team that were like, okay, let's transition, let's make this happen. Why was that for our listeners that? may not know and that I guess trepidation maybe fear of like the unknown what's going to happen next are we are able going to make this work are we able going to write and give our perspective on this like is it going to grow is it because when you start something yeah you have the passion but where is this going to go is it going to last we basically started from zero like we were working at a website that was already established for like a few years mm-hmm. so there was that security of yeah our, our we're actually going to get views, basically. (laughs) Is anybody actually going to read uh, what we put out there? But at the end of the day, the question really was, are we going to be able to have anywhere to put what we write? Mm -hmm. So that was really the most important point that the team to get, you know, put together the idea of, okay, so when's our new website coming? (laughs) It was, it started at first like, oh, you know, really hope that I get to write again. Now that we don't really have a place to write right now. It went from that to, okay, let's come up with a name. This all happened like 
over the course of one weekend. Oh, oh let's come up with a name. <laughs> and so as a team, it generally was like a team effort every step of the way. Like the name mm-hmm. was something that was a team effort. The logo was a team effort because I was, I was like, I'm the graphic designer of the group. So <laughs> in that moment, at least. So I just did like, you know, throwing spaghetti to a wall. Okay. Here's like 10 different prototypes. I was all honestly quite an amateur at graphic designer at the time. I've grown a lot, obviously, but that was like my first big branding in terms of like graphic design so it also helped me grow as a designer and as a freelancer later on just kind of went okay here's this list of visuals here's all of these colors everyone has red blue and like white (laughs) everyone else has these colors let's not do that so that's why we went with the purple and the yellow but yeah it just kind of flowed so when you think about it you going looking back it really came together really quickly like from not having anywhere to write to launching a brand new platform it took about three weeks <laughs> and I think it's because of a hunger to write right it really was yeah. it was a hunger to write it was a hunger to have a place that we could call our own as a group because you know there are there are a lot of us there's even more of us now but yeah as a, we wanted something that was very much a team driven project and and it's really grown a lot there's no decisions like we have the regular structure like editor in chief mm-hmm. editing editor I'm head of marketing we have a lead critic lead news you know we have the the leaders of the certain departments of the website but there's very rarely any decisions that don't get made together as a team mm, love that because you so the history right like they you of course, knew where you were coming from, and you wanted to do better. Exactly. We we already knew what it was like to have only one person think that they were at the helm yeah. and pretend to just kind of boss people around when they weren't really contributing. We knew we already went through that. We don't yeah. want to go through that again. <laughs> so it's not always roses at the end yeah. of the day. There are disagreements here and there, but we do. I like to believe that we do make an effort to work things out and keep pushing forward because at the end of the day, what we all want is just for this website to keep going so that we have a space for people to write. Yes, right now it's like basically on a volunteer basis, but a lot of times I've gotten jobs because of what I've put on full circle. (laughs) I've got, I've gotten gigs and, and now I have the job that I have. One of the jobs that I have now was because not only was I recommended, they saw my website, they saw my podcast and I was like, oh my God, (laughs) a professional recruiter looking at what I make. Ew, no. (laughs) You know, I just, I got really, really nervous. I'm like, oh my God, they know I'm a geek. I'm out. (laughs) No. (laughs) And they loved it. They loved that I was so multifaceted. They loved that I I knew how to write. I knew how to edit and that I I wear a lot of different hats. And not only that, the platform itself looks legit. Yes, that's kind of what I what I always want to do. I, anything that I am a part of and that I work on, my number one priority is to make it look as legitimate as possible mm-hmm. because that's what we deserve. Yes, and I love that as mentioned earlier. You know, we can create platforms that are even better than these high budget top the big leagues, <laughs> big leagues. Uh, yeah, media companies. Yeah, and how it's so true that podcasting when you create a quality podcast a platform youtube channel website you become the expert and it's basically your training but you're giving the quality like at the same time you're just because this is like you're on a volunteer basis doesn't mean you're going to give the bare minimum. It's like no exactly 200 percent. and eliana i love that you mentioned that you are very multifaceted and I'm very interested in going deeper in that aspect because I admire that you are able to combine these two, which is business with creativity and you combine Mm -hmm. them. And I think one of the results is through full circle cinema, but I want to know how the decision was of you're going to study this and you're continuing to strengthen this through your education. So how was that decision-making? How has that path been? And you've been able to combine those two to your advantage. Honestly, it was never really a decision. 
It just kind of, since I was a little kid, came naturally to me. I always, I think my first business was when I was 12. Uh (laughs) And I, since I was 12 years old, I made, like, I had like those Cricut machines that would cut like the the little papers and the shapes and all that, the vinyls. And I learned, for example, how to etch glass with like an etching cream, with a stencil, Uh like me at 12 years old. I was like, I loved arts and crafts so much. And I also wanted an iPod touch. Mm. (laughs) My parents could not get me an iPod. Dutch. Yes. <laughs> so I was like, okay, here's these mugs. Here's these like glass mugs. I'm gonna do like my dad, this is a little bit before he retired. He was like, hey, can you make me a mug? Like just to see how it works out. And just yeah. with like the logo of like his union and with his name, his initials. And I was like, sure, we'll, we'll see how it goes. So he got the mug, you know, for like two bucks at what's our dollar store is like called Capri. <laughs> so he got the, the mug super cheap. I made it. It turned out really nice. So he took it to work to use it. And then of course, naturally everyone at work was like, so where can I get one? So he was like, well, my daughter made this. They're yeah. $20 a pop. <laughs> Thank you, dad. And yeah. And he, and he just came home and it's like hey I have like a list of like five orders right now mm-hmm. um if you can if you have the time mm-hmm. you know little 12 year old <laughs> to, make, <laughs> to make these these mugs and I was like you don't have to tell me twice money involved yes. <laughs> there's <I've> money had- <laughs> yes exactly it. so yeah with with like two, three months of work. Um, basically everyone, almost everyone at my dad's office had a, their own mug and I had an iPod touch. <laughs> Amazing. I love so it. it was never really a, a stark difference between mm-hmm. do I want to study business or do I want to study art? Art always came naturally to me. Mm-hmm. I'm not the most you know experienced or well-trained artist because um, everything I do creatively is self-taught. Yes. Genuinely, I, I've taken one graphic design class in my life and that was last year after doing graphic design for 10 years. I also would pirate Photoshop when I was a kid <laughs> so I could so I could learn how to use Photoshop yeah. that was but that was like way back when you know it's yeah. fine the statute of limitations is passed but <laughs> but genuinely everything that I did creatively was always something that I found easy to learn mm-hmm. YouTube is my university I've been yes. on YouTube learning everything mm-hmm. since I was probably 11 years old mm-hmm. and to the point that I had my own little YouTube channel when I was 13 and I did that for like two years. You will never find it (laughs) because I had changed the name and everything, (laughs) but I would do little arts and crafts, like arts and crafts videos of making greeting cards, doing the mugs that I would sell, t-shirts, this and that, just me with my little point and shoot camera that my dad got from like Costco for Christmas. And I would just, that's how I learned to edit. That's how I learned lighting. That's how I learned. I got my first tripod. And since I was 13, I've been producing videos for YouTube. And I did that for about two or three years, pretty consistently mm-hmm. to the point that I think I even had like a thousand subscribers, which to me was like, whoa, oh, that's, that's lot, crazy. That is people. a lot. Yeah. A thousand people, you know, middle-aged women would really love my video. They would go hard and yeah. Support. They would go hard for my card. Launch your podcast for free. That's right. If your goal for 2022 is to start and launch your podcast, then save your spot for a free webinar on Friday, January 14th at 5.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, where I'll go over how to choose a name for your podcast, selecting your podcast genre, how to write your podcast description, creating your podcast cover art, and outlining your podcast topics. Go to bit.ly-23 p.m. MLS 9Y. That's bit.ly-23 p.m. MLS9Y to start and launch your podcast or head to the link in our show notes to save your spot. It's my little greeting cards that were really cute. But yeah, I had to leave it behind though because I did, you know, I started high school. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, I had to think about college and I just didn't have the time. So that was a really, really formative phase in my life that thinking about it now, I'm like, of course I'm doing this now. Of course. I've already, I've been that girl. I've been doing this. It's just, you know, honing in my craft. Mm -hmm. So when it came time to decide what it was I wanted to study, my grandfather was a businessman, Mm -hmm. you know, may he rest in peace. He always had businesses growing up, even when my dad was growing up to the point that he had like a really big moving company in Puerto Rico. But no matter what, he always made it work. Mm -hmm. My father comes from, you know, not the most financially stable background, but my grandfather was a single dad. So he always made a business out of anything. When they had to go to Connecticut, he had a, <laughs> he had a cockfighting business. Oh. <laughs> he would raise, yeah. 
Lo gallo de pelea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he would do that. Um, he would raise them and you would, you would sell them and do like all the, but very professional, like all, you know, no matter what he did. And I think I get it from him. No matter what he did, he always made it legit. He wasn't going, if, if he was going to do something, he was always going to make sure it was done well, because why, you know, mm-hmm. why do something if it's not going to be done correctly? So yeah, I get, I think I get that a lot from him. And yeah, when I decided, I think I was in junior year of high school, I started taking electives for business mm-hmm. because I've always had little businesses. I've always had little gigs. Oh, I need a t-shirt done. Yeah, sure. I'll, you know, here, 10 bucks. You know, oh, I would cut hair because my other grandfather, my maternal grandfather was a barber all his life. He taught me how to cut hair. So I would also cut hair. That was that, that was like basically me doing odd jobs here and there within the family and was how I made my income. You know, that was my mm-hmm. allowance basically because I didn't have like, you know, how kids have their weekly allowance. No, and my, my yeah. yeah, domingo allowance. Yeah. No, my domingo allowance was, well, um, your brothers need a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> I would cut their hair um, and I make 10 bucks, which, you know, to a kid, 10, 20 bucks is a lot. That's, that's a yes. lot of money. Yes. That's, a, that is a good chunk of change. So I would do that. And I would start taking those electives in high school for business. And I was like, yeah, I was in that phase of, I'm so decent at so many Mm -hmm. things obviously not an expert because hello like I'm just doing a little bit of everything Mm -hmm. and I had no clue what I wanted to study so as we say here la vieja confiable (laughs) was business study business because basically everything's a business Mm -hmm. and the only thing that I knew for sure was that I wanted to be my own boss <laughs> no yeah. matter what I did. So that's why I studied business. I, I was like, you know, I don't care what the concentration is, just get me into the business school. So I actually mm-hmm. entered, and this was just more of a logistical thing because of the spaces and the mm-hmm. classes and all that. I started off as an economics major. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I did that for a year, sucked, but it, it was fine because that's not what I wanted to begin with. Mm-hmm. It was literally just a means to an end to get yes. into the program. So once I was able to, switch programs I was like I want marketing oh but I also really like accounting <laughs> which is not something many people say but that's I just found it very unique right you need exactly you know the numbers. yeah I need I I thought you know it's not the most fun class but it is the most useful for me and like in that moment I was like mm-hmm. if I have seen so many people have you know start businesses and fail their businesses because they simply just don't get the numbers right mm-hmm. and you know, my grandfather, my father, my great grandfather, their their whole motto was, you know, it's all in the numbers. If you're not good at math, if you're not good at the numbers, it's going to be twice, if not three times as hard to get something done, get anything done. Mm. So that's why I made accounting like my, we call it like a second concentration. Mm-hmm. So it's minor, I guess. Yeah. That's why I did that. But of course, marketing was very much like love at first sight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is creativity plus business. Sign me up. I'm good at this. I'm good at selling things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good at making things look nice. I'm good at convincing people, hey, these are the competitive advantages of the, you know, X, Y, and Z. And this is why this is the best thing on the market. Mm-hmm. So that's why I went with that. I love it. Love it. You went into the strategy. You went also with the numbers. And then Mm -hmm. after that, you are going right now. Like, I think all that you've learned in a way you are applying it to full circle cinema, right? Even though 100%. Yeah. You know, you're the head of marketing, but like you, you have that background, you have that knowledge to like help full circle cinema grow. Right. You know, you started your YouTube channel at a very young age, but I think it was the necessary seeds to the foundation that you're on right now and like you mentioned earlier we don't have the time we sometimes forget to like take in what we went through right right and then like all of that it's like oh yes of course that whole journey that I took is helping me right now and to even approve even more and Ileana so you went through the you know business marketing accounting side let's go deeper now on the from criticism side yes you're great at editing because you are you are thanks <laughs> and how did that turn into film critic and obviously with full circle cinema but how did that chapter begin in your life when I first started like officially regularly being a film critic was actually a podcast that I co-hosted with a colleague of mine in college mm-hmm. I was in probably I think I was in junior year Mm -hmm. I just started junior year. This was right before Hurricane Maria. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So this colleague of mine, 
wanted to make a podcast, they had a, a co-host that bailed on them. So mm-hmm. the project never really lifted off. And I was like, you know what? I love movies. Yeah. You love movies. Let's talk about them. Yeah. I got a microphone. <laughs> I got I got one of these snowball mics that is kind of old. Sure. Let's let's try it. That was one of the first times that I also kind of made something from zero in terms of like the film side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the first podcast experience that I had. I did that podcast for a year and that helped me grow a lot. That helped me overcome my shyness. We weren't on camera. It was just an audio only podcast, but I think we ended up doing like almost 50 episodes, which was kind of a lot. It was a weekly podcast that I edited. I did the logos, I did the branding. Uh, We would do, you know, fun little things on campus. It was very much a college, (laughs) a college project, but it was definitely a learning experience, learning how to deal with other people with a, you know, with like a business partner in that sense um, for the first time, because up until then I kind of did everything. All my projects were solo projects. So this is my first time, my first experience dealing with a partnership. And from that experience, I learned how important it is to not only learn how to choose a good partner whenever you're doing a project, but also learn how to basically and mature emotionally yourself yes. because not everything's going to go your way and that's okay. It's learning the art of compromise. It's learning the art of negotiation and, and growing from that. And, you know, it gets to a point to a moment where you also have to learn whether sticking with something is going to be good for you or not. And at that mm-hmm. moment, after a year, I was like this, I don't, this isn't for me anymore. This isn't working. I was putting in a lot of my energy into something that just wasn't really bearing a lot of fruit. And I moved on for that project. So that was like my first, you know, dive into film criticism. Mm -hmm. It was mostly, we would do a first segment on news Mm -hmm. because I was more news oriented at the time. Cause I was like, I like entertainment journalism. I love, you know, dissecting new, breaking news from the entertainment industry, especially when it comes to Marvel and DC and all of that. So we would do that. And then the latter half of the episode would be the actual film review of that week. So it was very much a different format for for me at the time, but I definitely learned that I have a lot of opinions (laughs) and I think I should focus more on reviewing things. Not that I'm not good at reporting news. Mm -hmm. It was just something that, you know, I I lean more towards criticism, not just to be nitpicky at things, Mm -hmm. but really just to dive deeper into something with a different perspective, because I like to think that I, and a lot of women in this industry and in this space of being a geek, you know, being into comic books and superheroes and Marvel and DC, I grew up being the only girl, you know, in my circles that liked these things. (laughs) So, and not, it's not that I, you know, I was homeschooled, so it's not like I was exposed to a lot of people my age that were girls, uh, you know, a lot of the majority of like my cousins and, you know, people in my family that were my age were guys. So naturally I felt very much odd one out. And once I realized, Hey, these guys are kind of repeating the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. I have different ideas. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about that. (laughs) that. So I did that. And then within that first year as well. I was a writer for her campus, the UPR chapter, which Mm. is like the University of Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. I started that as well right before Hurricane Maria. So that semester was wild. I started one project and then started a new endeavor because that chapter wasn't mine. So that's also where I met Josie in that her campus chapter. So we met, um, we vibed, we weren't the closest of friends at that point because like so much was happening at the time. You know, the hurricane happens, everyone was just kind of really spread out it was a really really hard time and then we all just slowly started trying to get back into the groove of things at the end of the year going to class with no power Mm -hmm. you know power outages here and there going to classrooms that were you know still smelled really humid Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it was a really crazy time that I'm like thank god you know, fingers crossed, I don't have to go through that again. And, yeah. you know, a lot of us from my generation that went to college to that campus at that time, is like, mm-hmm. we are survivors. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we, it's honestly insane. A lot of people dropped out of college at that time. I saw a lot of friends like move mm-hmm. away from, you know, move outside Puerto Rico. So it was a very, very changing time, you know, late 2017 to early 2018. Mm-hmm. You know, I was starting new things, but at the same time, the people around me, you know, as well as me, were going through it. Yes. We were going through some, you know, a tragedy basically. So mm-hmm. I, we did take a break from the podcast, of course, for like a month or two because of the hurricane. Mm-hmm. But then when we came back, it was kind of like, 
with even more energy than ever to try to spark a little bit, a shred of joy, (laughs) you know, in this dark situation, because it's kind of hard, you know, the movie theaters were closed too. (laughs) The lack of support from the American government too. I mean, oh yeah. Yeah. As a Mexicana, Latina, I believe Puerto Rico should be free and, and, (laughs) and, you know, I, I support my Boricua cousins and seeing it from that view of the lack of support, what was going on and it broke, broke my heart, but thank you for talking about this because I want to dissect by parts. I agree. It's not easy working with other people and it's it's very hard to even have your voice be heard in a group and I think that was a a great chapter for you because then those lessons learned you're taking it to full circle cinema and you're able to hear everyone's opinions what they they have to say and compromising and knowing what's best for the platform right and not Mm -hmm. it's not just about you and ultimately it's the end goal and then I will say it's not easy saying this isn't for me this chapter Mm -hmm. is going to end and I'm going to start a new one when we talk about that we don't talk about how maybe hard or or easy it is Mm -hmm. to come to that point so I imagine for you you're like realizing to this isn't giving me any fruit this isn't, isn't giving me anything positive in my life and then deciding you know, it's time to go and start some a new chapter. So I applaud you because I've been through those moments of like, it's hard. It's hard to make that decision. It's hard to talk about it with other people. Yeah. Yeah. Because you feel like you're quitting when you're really not. You're just closing a chapter and moving on to a new and better one, hopefully. So that happened with that podcast. I wrote my first official movie reviews for her campus, UPR, in spring of 2018. So that was really exciting. That was also the moment. I think my very the very first one I published was actually super negative (laughs) not to be a negative Nancy but I I think I it's tea because (laughs) it was my first because it's kind of relevant right now it was my first PTA film I saw Phantom Thread and I hated it (laughs) and I had to talk about it (laughs) okay tell me why I'm very interested at the moment and and remember this was me starting out. Yeah. <laughs> this this is also me being, you know, I was like, nobody's going to read this. So I'm just going to say what I want to say. Phantom Thread was not something that I vibed with because I found it extremely heteronormative, very mm-hmm. white and very bland. It was just, I understand the splendor, you know, mm-hmm. the magic, the pretty costume design, yes. the set designs. I'm not saying they were bad actors. Great performances. Mm-hmm. Yes, very pretty. But at the end of the day, it was just really toxic. Oh, <laughs> and I was yes. like, why do people think this is cute? Why, why do people think Straight people are weird. <laughs> this is yeah. not OTP. This is not yeah. very cash money on their part. Yeah. No, absolutely not. So I let the people well, no, in my little review, mm-hmm. I was like, you know, obviously more eloquent words, I would like to think. <laughs> but yeah, I think that was, I'm pretty sure that was the very first official published review that I had. And I was like, everyone else is raving about this movie, but also everyone else is majority white male critics. Mm-hmm. And coming from, I mean, I don't want to say like we all go through this, but like it's something very common from like a Latina that we see these toxic relationships. And it's like on mm-hmm. media, on like TV, telenovelas, and we're like, okay, enough is enough. We don't want to live this. Like mm-hmm. we, see, we don't need to applaud this and make this romantic or have this be applauded in, in, you know, in a critique. So in like the word says it there, critique, you know, and you giving another different perspective, a necessary perspective into this film. And that was the first time that I guess from there on giving your publishing your reviews, when was that moment of drive where you're like, I have to continue this. I have to go on and like not stop because, you know, you, you may start something. Yes. You started the podcast, you finished that chapter, you were, you know, writing your reviews, but it was a moment of like, no question, no, you know, moment of pause of like, of course you're going to continue with this. It was basically at that moment, I first published the Phantom Thread review and it was actually around the time where I was like, you know what, this website, this chapter hasn't really covered film a lot. And the Oscars are coming up. So let's do Road to the Oscars series. So that was the first in that series that I did alongside Josie and Gabriela, who you may know from Film Posers. So the three of us basically were at the helm of this series of reviews where we reviewed or the majority of like the big Oscar nominated films. So I did Mm -hmm. Phantom Thread. I believe I did. Oh my God, what's the one where... The Winston Churchill one. 
Oh, the Gary Oldman movie. I hated that Gary movie. Oldman movie. I oh. forgot. I even forgot. I think it's in the darkest hour, darkest yeah. hour or something. Yes. Terrible. Terrible. But I, I let the people know. <laughs> I let the people know though. And then there was one, I believe, I don't remember, but there were like quite a few where I was like, ooh, I really like this because mm-hmm. it's not that we're bashing these movies just because, not for kicks. It's genuinely because everyone would rave about them mm-hmm. and we were watching them. It's like, what are y'all talking about? Did we see the same movie? Did we see the same movie? Yeah. Yeah. Are we yeah. on the same page? Yeah. And, you know, obviously everyone's entitled to their opinion, but there's really nothing like somebody who thinks that their opinion is an authority mm-hmm. <laughs> on a film or like in general, but especially in film, there are people who think that their opinion is some kind of authority. Mm-hmm. And when they say something and someone disagrees with them, it's like, oh, well, everyone's entitled to their opinion. But then you tell your opinion. It's like, yeah. well, you're wrong. I'm like, mm-hmm. so where was this energy? Yeah. Yes, before. So it, it's definitely something that feeds into an imposter syndrome that affects especially women, especially Latina women mm-hmm. everywhere. But yeah, especially in this industry. So, but I kept driving forward because I'm just stubborn. I'm just stubborn like Love that. that. Yeah. So yeah, and after that, joined um, the previous website before yes. Full Circle Cinema that I'm not going to name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I joined them. I was I would cover news and then I would also do reviews. I even went to like the Teen Titans go to the movies premiere. Oh my God. That <laughs> was so cute. So I reviewed that. I went to the premiere. I reviewed that. And then I also reviewed a couple of things here and there. And then I remember my last review was the Aquaman review which mm. I actually, it was actually a pretty positive review oh. and people didn't like it oh, okay. because I also criticized it. Cause I liked the movie, but I was yeah. like, it's not perfect. No, it has a small the Pitbull song. song was not, it should not have happened <laughs> at all, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I can like the movie. I'm not, I'm not going to ignore that. It's kind of hard, yeah. but yeah, that just kept driving me forward to, to keep going. And that's kind of how things have flowed. Love that. And I love that your stubbornness, because that is, you know, being persistent, being passionate and knowing like, hey, I'm good at this. I need my perspective out there. Like all these white film critics are like thinking that their criticism is like the one true holy grail mm-hmm. and should be respected. Or the her. blueprint. Yeah. <laughs> the blueprint of everything. Right. And you persisted. And from there, Full Circle Cinema, and earlier in the conversation, you mentioned that Full Circle Cinema has given you gigs and also took you to Cannes, making you one of the first Puerto Rican women film critics to go alongside with Josie Melendez. That yeah. inspired, fucking inspiring. <laughs> this is my podcast and I will <laughs> Fucking inspiring. Like, yeah. let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Because Ileana, you started in college, you started a film podcast. Did you ever think that you would go to Cannes? Absolutely not. <laughs> Never. How was that? Moment? I wasn't even yeah. sure. I'm going to be real honest. It's okay. going to make me sound yeah. like a fake film fan. I don't think I'd even know really what Cannes was when I started that first podcast. I mean, I don't think I'd heard of it. <laughs> I mean, re- I, I think we don't ever really know what you know right. when we you know begin our yeah. you know interest for her film it's always yeah. like I think that's speaks volumes because no one's an expert when they start something right. and you said you didn't even know you were gonna go or I didn't even know I was gonna go and I couldn't even imagine I would ever go because I never even heard of the festival yeah. <laughs> at that time when I started so it was honestly an impulse that we just decided to blame Josie she she was the devil on my shoulder being like what's the worst they can say no I'm like you're right yeah yes <laughs> we'll yes. whip it out let's but let's let's do this and, and like mentioning with you know talking a bit about our conversation with Josie she said that you know COVID gave a positive impact because it was much more easier for POC critics to apply, you know, and obviously mm-hmm. you had your credentials, you had this background of it and the legit, the quality that you produced backed you up. Right. And it, it was easier to step into this door. And mm-hmm. I, I want to remind everyone from a previous conversation with a, with a guest and my friend Lorena Soriano, she said, the no, you already have it. You know, you never know that you'll get the yes. So, and I'm paraphrasing right. there, but I love that Josie was like, What's gonna? What's the worst that's gonna happen? What like you sent it, and then you got the yes. You got the yes. So we did. I want to know from your perspective, Viviana, what was it of you getting that yes, 
And then you were realizing, wow, I'm going to Canada. Actually, we got the yes. And I still wasn't sure we were going to go because of our, like financially. Yeah. Because we still had to fund this trip. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, what next? So I got the yes, screamed. And I think I had literally just, we had just filmed an episode of Film Talk. I'm pretty sure. I don't remember which episode it was. I had said goodbye to Josie. I was doing other things, mm-hmm. you know, click, clack, and in a way. I saw my, my email, screamed, and called her crying. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, guess what, bitch? <laughs> they said yes. So yeah, they were like, oh yeah, your accreditation has been approved. It's not official yet because we just need this additional information Mm -hmm. and then we'll get your approval to you. Mm -hmm. So it was like a pre-yes. Took us like a day to, you know, discuss and decide, should we just kind of go for it? Mm -hmm. So it was very much, it's not that we just went for it, you know, a lo loco. (laughs) We said, okay, well, just, you know, we'll apply. We we got approved. And then maybe last minute we'll just say, oh, we can't go, but thanks for the approval. And then try to apply next year. Because this was literally three weeks before the festival. So time was (laughs) running fast. Time was, time was of the essence. Yes. And booking flights, booking an Airbnb Mm -hmm. three weeks before one of the biggest festivals in the world. The first one since the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, (laughs) I think we didn't have an Airbnb until two weeks before our flight. Wow. So we really, we pulled it together very last minute, you know, classic Mm -hmm. Puerto Rican time. Classic Puerto Ricans, just super last minute, super late, and you know, late to the party, but always fabulous. So we pulled it together. We're like, you know what? The world already ended. We're already here in this dystopia. We might as well go. So luckily we were able to get, we actually ended up doing like a benefit, like a virtual musical benefit. (laughs) Friends of Josie's uh, who are musicians, part of like the Conservatorio de de Musica. Yes. So they were like, you know what? We'll, we'll donate like our videos, like us performing. You edit it. We'll make it a thing. We'll make it like a premiere. So it's like live mm-hmm. and people donate to to your thing. Yeah. So yeah, it, I was the night before it was supposed to go up editing a one hour musical special till like 3 a.m. <laughs> Basically five days before the trip. And we were able to raise like enough funds to cover like more or less half the trip for mm-hmm. for each of us, which honestly was still like a huge help. Yeah. So with help from the donations, help from family members and friends who would like, hey, here's $10 yeah. so you can get some lunch on this day, or here's $15 or $50, you know, everyone put in, you know, as small as, as big as the donation was, everyone believed in us for some, mm-hmm. for some reason they believed in us. And they were like, you know what, you guys are going to kill it this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. We're not going to let you miss it simply because you couldn't afford it. So forever to this day, forever grateful and in awe of the the community effort that really went into that trip happening. Very very much a Latina moment. (laughs) Yes. El poder de la comunidad, the power of community. Every time. Believing in you and Mm -hmm. not allowing you or money to be a problem because they, they believed in you. They knew that you needed to do this. Wow love it and that you know even ten dollars was essential and was so important in that trip you get to can how was it how was it like being there seeing these movies writing about it and saying oh my gosh not only not only did you your work took you there but your family your friends your comunidad mm-hmm. and it's like you were that representation that manifestation of all the love and hard work It was honestly, the first day was kind of not necessarily overwhelming because like, I'd like to think I kept it together Mm because I'm like, I am not here to, you know, mess this up. I I'm here. I, I've, we've made it this far. Let's not like get nervous and, and shy about everything now. So it was kind of like, well, we're here. We might as well just kind of go for it and and just go for the press conferences, go to the screenings, meet other people. This is also how we met some fellow critics like our friend David Cuevas, who writes for Film Hounds, as well as Cole, the Oscar expert on YouTube. Um, And we just caught up in like this community that felt it made us feel more comfortable in a sense, having someone that we knew there. We had like a group chat before we went because it was also like it was all of our first time. 
So we had a group of complete newbies to can just kind of sticking together. We were always kind of always the youngest ones. A lot of times Josie and I were the only women mm-hmm. in the room or one of the very few women, much less Latina women. Mm-hmm. I think if I heard one person um, in those screens speaking Spanish, it it was a lot. Like it, it was one woman, I think she was from Venezuela or something, but she was a Latina critic that was a little bit older than us that was there. I gave her directions for cafe yeah. <laughs> because we're at the coffee. They were giving out cafecitos and we were in the elevator together and I was like talking to Josie and was like, me huele pero no me sabe and I need coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and then she she heard us. She's like, oh my God, they, you know, I assume that she thought, oh, they speak Spanish. She's like, ¿y dónde está el café? Y yo, buenísima pregunta. <laughs> so that was like that one moment where of almost you know I don't know if solidarity is the right word but yeah it was just we are the it was that connection of we were the only Latina women that we saw in that whole festival and Josie and I being the only Boricuas at that festival so it was I think important for us to even if it's, it's just directions to get a coffee they're not competition yeah. we've we've worked our asses off to get here and there's still a long way to go definitely fun sometimes overwhelming sometimes just you know utter disbelief uh, <laughs> of where we were at to the point that when Pedro Almodovar came onto the stage during that opening ceremony mm-hmm. Joe leaned in and said Esta- <laughs> estamos en la presencia de dioses <laughs> <laughs> So we, you know, we were seeing Spike Lee, Bong Joon Ho, it's Jodie Foster and Pedro Almodovar in front of us. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> this is the real deal. That was when yeah. it felt real that first night, mm-hmm. and then we saw Annette, which was a, a total, totally wild time. And then after that, we just kind of got into this routine since we were there a week. And it was like, well, we're here. Get up at seven every day. Mm-hmm. Um, schedule the tickets. It was. It was honestly stressful. It was really, really fun, but it was honestly yeah. stressful because we had to get up early every day to yeah. try and get tickets to screenings because they would open up every other day, get tested for COVID mm-hmm. <laughs> every other day, make sure that we have food in the apartment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just, it was just us too. So I think we were just so caught up with everything that was happening that we made ourselves at home. We were like, you know what? We got over that fear a little bit of, wow, we're here. Okay, let's do the work. Let's do the work. Yes. Getting right into it. And I love that. And it's so true. Even when, you know, in moments like you're in Cannes or maybe you're, you, you might be the only Latina in the workplace or anywhere. You see someone, a woman, Latina that's talking in Spanish. You feel like, oh, okay. I felt more. such relief because yeah. I'm, of the two of us, I'm the only one that speaks French and my French is basic at best. Mm-hmm. Like I would defend myself, you know, I could, you know, I could, you know, ask questions and and reply and respond and, you know, order from the menu. Woo. But it's so weird how relieving it is to hear someone else speak Spanish for the first time. And literally we were only out of Puerto Rico for a few days at that point. And then someone spoke Spanish. So I was like, oh, I can't believe I missed this so much. Someone I understand. <laughs> Because, yeah, there were people speaking English, but it's not the same. <laughs> yeah, it's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same. When you hear someone speak Spanish, you're like, oh, my God, one yeah. of us. One, one of us. us. One of us. And like, yeah, you have to you, we have to talk. We have to make some interaction. And and yeah. I love that you went right into the work. You know, I remember Josie saying about imposter syndrome and that it's hard. You know, everyone goes through that. Did you, you said that you focus right into the work. Okay, get this done, get food, get everything ready. So was there a moment of like imposter syndrome going on? Or were you so focused on the task in hand that you're like, fuck you, imposter syndrome. I don't have time for this. (laughs) (laughs) There was a moment where imposter syndrome did stop me from doing, stop us, honestly, from doing something, which was that first press conference. We didn't know we were allowed in press conferences. Mm. our accreditation like nobody told us (laughs) we just assumed so we were literally right outside the door where Marion Cotillard and Leo Carax were were sitting Mm -hmm. giving a press conference for Annette and we were like could we go in is it are we allowed and we just stood there outside the door and it was very much like you know thinking back about it it's kind of melodramatic it's like should we are we allowed in the room where it happens Mm -hmm. or should we not so the door was already closed. So technically we couldn't go in by that point because we missed the, the call moment. time, I guess. Yeah, yeah the moment. Um, but we just didn't know. We didn't know the schedule or anything. So we got our hands on the schedule. Um, and then the next, like two days later, we were like, well, I guess we're going to the Stillwater Press Conference and we're going to go see Matt Damon. 
sure, <laughs> let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> because you know what? Fuck it. We, we, our accreditation though, there, the accreditation is color coded by priority. Mm. Even though our accreditation is like rock bottom of priority, we're here. If there's a space in the room, let's get there. So miraculously, we did get in, we did get into the, the Stillwater press conference. We were able to see Todd McCarthy, Matt Damon, and the rest of the cast of Stillwater. Mm -hmm. And we were sitting in the same room with reporters from Variety. Hollywood Reporter and other French European outlets that I hadn't heard of before. This was a room where there were big leagues, I I call them. Mm -hmm. Like we were there with the big leagues, with the bigger outlets. And I was like, well, we're here too. So we clearly were legit in some way, shape or form. So yeah, that was really an interesting experience. I was like my first, our first in-person press conference, especially to that level especially for like yeah. Matt Damon, baby, Matt Damon, but it's still Matt Damon. This yeah. is the guy who did the Bourne movies. This is a yeah. real actor. <laughs> a real actor who won an Oscar back in the 90s. Yeah, exactly. Like he did Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. This is cool. This yeah. is actually really cool. And Stillwater, it was actually a decent movie. So I don't know. It was very surreal, but it got to a point where I was like, you know what? We've made it this far. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. They say no. Exactly. If they say no, oh, yeah. okay. Oh, okay. I'll get a croissant around the corner. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's really no harm, no foul. Exactly. It's better to say sorry than to ask for, for ask for permission. And did you ask, did you ask questions now that you were there? Did you like, how was that? Like, we didn't end up asking questions at the press conference because we just didn't know we were really there more to observe and mm-hmm. learn from other reporters. Cause I was like, I'm not going to make a fool out of myself right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've made it this far. I'm, <laughs> we're going to write down, we're going to tweet this yeah. and we're going to do the coverage and learning from that because we were like, we had the opportunity to make a question, but I don't think it was, it wasn't imposter syndrome that stopped us. It was more perhaps like an, a hunger to learn and observe yeah. because there are times, there are moments where you have to decide whether or not you're going to just go for it without really, you know, thinking before you speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are other times where you do make the decision of, you know what, I'm just going to take it back a notch, observe, learn, mm-hmm. and then for the next press conference, do my thing, basically. So it's kind of that back and forth um, of making decisions of, okay, we're going to be impulsive. (laughs) We're going to do this for the first time and we're going to learn here. And then, okay, we're here. Let's, we've already made the big step. Mm -hmm. Let's relax and see what happens. Because again, we didn't know what the dynamic was going to be at a press conference. We didn't know, especially at a press conference at Cannes, we didn't know how the whole, you know, taking questions thing was going to be. They gave us little headsets (laughs) because sometimes they would speak in French. So the headset would be like for everyone to, to wear and they would have like a live translator right there. I was like, oh, this is cool. I know it's nothing new. This is nothing new to any, uh, you know, you know, professional critics right now. For us, it really was. And, you know, it was kind of, there's a first time for everything. And I'm so grateful to have gone through that experience. And I'm so glad that we did just kind of take it more as a learning experience rather than just going head on into everything. But but what what prank conference exactly were you like, okay. I learned, I took note, it's time to ask questions. It's time to, you know. Unfortunately, we went to the Stillwater Press Conference and that ended up being the only press conference we were able to go to because we thought originally, I think, we were like, okay, there's going to be a press conference for the French Dispatch, mm-hmm. which was premiering that next week, which was like my most, personally, my most anticipated movie of the festival. It was the reason I went to France, <laughs> quite honestly, because, you know, Wes Anderson made me believe I could make movies <laughs> when I was in high school. Uh, Wes Anderson's uh, The Grand Budapest Hotel is one of my favorite movies of all time. It was a movie that I saw and I thought, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> I can do that. That's Yeah, this is amazing. This is what I want. This is what cinema should be. It should evoke this, this feeling of awe and wonder and whimsy while also being incredibly emotionally provoking. So that's what I really love when I see films. So I was really excited for The French Dispatch. And I was very disappointed that last minute they announced that there wasn't going to be a press conference for The French Dispatch, which was very like nobody was expecting that. Yeah. 
And I don't remember what the reason was. I think they literally just said, oh, we're just going to present the movie. Because I think right after that, they went to go film. They went to Spain, I think, to go film the new movie. So like this was back to back, like all piled up. So like that whole cast made it to Cannes. And then most of them left immediately after the premiere. So it was kind of unfortunate that Stillwater was the only press conference we were able to attend. But Mm -hmm. Next press conference, definitely at next year's can. Yes. We will be there. We will be we'll present be and we will be asking questions. Excellent. I am looking forward to that. And yes, we will be there. And I'm excited because I wanted part two of that experience and you sharing here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted part two too, but you know, it just I think the only other press conference that last week of the festival mm-hmm. was right after we left. Yeah. Because we left about three or four days before the closing ceremony. Um, so that's when the good press conferences were happening. I was like, oh, no. But it's okay. It's okay. We, we honestly, we took it in stride. And we still were able to see some incredible films that honestly are still, you know, not to toot my own horn. But like, there's one of the best films of the year. Yeah. There's some, Like, you know, we saw Titan the last yeah. night we were in Cannes. We oh, saw the premiere. And we had no idea what it was about. We yeah. just went in blind. Our friend, David Cuevas, God bless that little Gen Z critic, who was honestly, probably, I'd like to believe, the youngest person to ever attend Can. <laughs> he was 18. Wow. wow. 18. Yes. I think, yeah, he might have been the one. I was like, but... I was like, oh my God, you know, this, you, you're also making strides. You know, he's a Colombian Canadian kid who writes incredible reviews. And I'm very grateful that to have met him there. And now we're good friends. And we have him on the pod sometimes, even though we may disagree sometimes on movies, but that's <laughs> part of the fun of it. But yeah, it was kind of a festival first for a lot of us and for the, the festival itself. And like you mentioned, like Josie has mentioned, the pandemic has opened up a lot of access mm-hmm. to more marginalized critics yes. in this industry because of virtual festivals, hybrid pe- festivals. Cannes was one of the first like in-person festivals to come back during the pandemic. And I feel like though it's still very male dominated, mm-hmm. there are strides being made, but sometimes you can't just sit around and wait for the work to be done. You have to do it yourself. You got to be there. If you want to see people like you there, you're going to have to be there so other people can see you like you, you know? Exactly. I completely agree. And, you know, you mentioned TIFF in the beginning and, you know, you shared, I was uh, watching when it came, the video came out of the reviews on the movies of TIFF. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's another big time festival. And you can share with us, you know, how that was. And, you know, also, Looking to the future, I know we recording this, this is 2021, but this will be out in 2022, the first episode of 22 of AES. And I really want to see, Liana, you you spoke it. You'll, you'll be in Cannes. <laughs> For May. sure. For sure. And if they, accre- they accredit us again, which I am, you know, I'm the positive one now. I'm the optimist one. <laughs> yeah. and, and I, I am saying like, we're going to, you know, we're going to get accredited. We're going to be able to plan this. You know, we're going to be there two, three weeks. We're going to do it legit. It's going to be great. How was that going to TIFF this year? And also the next steps, like where do you see yourself as a film critic? As film talk, you said in December, it's your anniversary. And also continue to making these strides, these actions to inspire other Latinas, Boricuas, to see if Ileana and Josie did it, I can do it too. I can be there alongside them and talk in Espanol. Wow. I think... Well, for this year, for the listeners out there, definitely going back to Cannes. Still debating whether or not to attend in person um, TIFF or NIF. For those of you who don't know, TIFF is a Toronto International Film Festival and NIF is the New York Film Festival. So I would like to go to the New York Film Festival for, for sure this year, though it is kind of close in date usually with TIFF. So I think it's going to have to be one or the other. But I saw Josie attend NIF this year and it looked so incredible. You had, you know, it was, it felt like there was a lot more access to Q&As and actors in this festival rather than Cannes. I was like, yes, this seems like a really, really good place to be, especially as a Latina, as a woman critic, to be able to be in the, these very, basically very prestigious places. Yeah. And get your feet wet, right? And, and do that. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> exactly. So definitely trying to, you know, make myself present in these spaces 
make myself my voice heard, make other Latina and female identifying voices heard. Growing film talk. I really want to, you know, get it. Right now it's bi-weekly, more or less, because I am, you know, an, a graduate student mm-hmm. who's working full-time as well. So it's sometimes the schedule isn't as regular as I would like it to be. Um, but I definitely want to be more consistent with film talk. I want to grow our network. I want to have more critics on guest starring on the show. I want to have different segments, you know, just lots of things that I just, I want this platform to grow, even if it doesn't last forever. Again, it's still a chapter that has been super formative, not only for me, not only for Josie, but now I'm finding out for people listening and watching. So if our little grain of sand <laughs> in, in our efforts in this industry helps someone, then I think it would have been worth it. So that's where I see myself in 2022. Love that. Love that response. And yes, it's, you know, even I wish film talk will last forever because it's one of my favorite uh, <laughs> yeah. shows. And, but you're right, you know, it has giving a lasting effect on people's lives. And I include myself in this, you know, you, your voice, your perspective, your work inspires me. It's like, okay, yes, I can bring it to the table and just have that connection, that perspective. Like, yes, you know, I, not only do I love amplifying empowering Latina voices, I love film and I love listening to perspectives that align with mine that have similar backgrounds as me. And, you know, what you're doing is necessary and so much needed. And Ileana, you know, this wonderful conversation has been just amazing, inspiring. I love it. And I know my listeners will, are loving it as well. If you had the opportunity to go back in time, maybe talk to Ileana, who was, you know, doing the glass mugs or any time of the of your of life knowing what you know now going what you went through succeeding what you went through what would you tell knowing what you know i would tell her as much as you really 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 want to give up you know that you're never going to give up mm. and you know yes. it you're actually not giving up is actually going to pay off at some point so true very true and eliana where can ellas follow you and accompany you in this journey where can they follow you where can they support? Listen, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Captain Melendez. Um, you can also follow the outlet that I work with that mm-hmm. I co-founded, Full Circle Cinema. Um, you can visit fullcirclecinema.com to read all of our wonderful reviews and news um, from this amazing team that I love very dearly. And you can follow us on Twitter at Full Circle Cine. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channels, youtube.com slash full circle cinema. And you can definitely subscribe and like, and turn on the notifications for film talk. We have episodes once or twice a month, usually twice. We have a really, really exciting year coming up for film talk. Hopefully the production gets better and better every time. You can also listen to us on Spotify, Apple podcasts, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Yo, you can also, you know, see my little Mimi letterbox reviews on letterbox at Captain Melendez. So yeah, that's, that's basically where you can find me. Excellent. Well, you heard it there. You can follow and support Ileana Film Talk, Full Circle Cinema. The invitation is right there. And let's continue supporting and amplifying Latina perspectives, voices, and stories. Thank you for joining me on this first episode of 2022. And I just cannot wait to see the amazing work that you'll do, Ileana, for 2022 and for 2021. And I hope we can do a part two, hopefully in person after <laughs> this is all done and over, but you know, oh, that would be great. <laughs> yes, that would be great. I really want to hear a part two, uh, you know, listen to, you know, after being in Cannes and thank you for listening and be sure to follow Agus now on Apple Podcasts by hitting the plus button and leave us a five-star rating and review. Help us reach more Latinas by sharing this episode with your amiga and you can continue the conversation by following us on Instagram at Media double underscore where we'll feature your review. Muchas gracias for being part of our journey of amplifying Latina voices. I'll see you in two weeks for another inspiring conversation with an empowering Latina. Adios. Adios. If you are ready to amplify your empowering voice to your comunidad, sign up for a podcast launch checklist, the free blueprint with everything you need to do to launch your podcast. Download or print your free copy by heading over to as-media.com amplify. That's as-media.com amplify to start and launch your podcast. AS is an AS Media production created, hosted, 
and executive produced by me, Brenda Hernandez Jaimes. Our video conversations are edited by Javier Ortiz Ruiz. Our logo and podcast cover art was designed by Jennifer Cepeda. And thank you to Shiro, who created the podcast theme song, Sunken Street. You can download this track on freemusicarchive.org or listen to him on Spotify, YouTube, or follow him on Instagram. This is Aegis Media.